you know, as long as you're not buying a massive million dollar home in your first purchase, at least by the pro formas, it cash flows a little bit. Uh, real estate's pretty forgiving. You know, I, I've made plenty of mistakes and I've still came out ahead. I know a lot of people that have done the same thing. So I just get in, get, get started, you know, figure out why you wouldn't want to do a deal. And if you can't figure that out, then do it. And if you, if you come across a mistake, you'll get out of it. It's not like stocks. You'll figure out a way to make some money. Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am going to talk to someone who is in a hot market right now, really hot market. So I'm going to talk about that as well. But we are going to talk to Tom Staub. He's the CEO of Red Oak Development Group and founder of the Real Estate Investing Academy. And actually, I was looking at his bio. He's also CEO of Door Scout LLC, co-founder of Grand Canyon Glamping. So there are a lot of things he has done. And he's a real investor and developer since 2011. He does a lot of land development deals and that's what we are going to talk about. Welcome, Tom. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I am yeah. busy, busy. Busy is always good, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, tell us something interesting or funny about yourself. Oh, man. Interesting. Well, you know, it's funny. I, at least to me, it is. I almost got into real estate to really support what I wanted to do initially. And when I was in my mid twenties or so, I play guitar, right? 20 some years. I come from a family of musicians and the goal was to build up a portfolio to be able to quit whatever job I had, move to Nashville and play full-time, right? <laughs> so as it would have it with real estate, it didn't happen. I'd start buying properties, doing flips, syndications, commercial, now land development. And I absolutely love what I do. And um, I would still play in Nashville, but it's going to have to be a side, side gig now. That's pretty interesting. And, but you are in a in a good town as well for me. That's right. It's not too bad. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so how and when did you start investing in real estate? I'll thank California to some degree. I you know I started my career in California right after the crash, and back then I wasn't making a lot of money. Always been pretty savvy with with money and whatnot since the age of sixteen. But back when I was in my early twenties, I was trying to buy a house, and I I would save and save every penny that I could, and the price appreciation just outpaced me. And I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to have cash in the bank. So I bought a few properties in Indiana and then I kept buying. It's highly addictive, as you know. I started buying in Ohio and Alabama and Texas. And then just the journey of real estate that it is. Went from that to flips, which did a few of those myself. And uh, after slipping a disc in my back and then... <laughs> So I was like, all right, this is not worth this is not worth the pain. And then just doing bigger projects. And, um, you know, if you follow the, the money, you end up with land development, I think. So uh, when did you buy your very first investment property? And uh, were you still in California when you bought that? I was in California. I bought it in Indiana, though, back in um, 09. Nice. Uh, that was my first little little project. I'm, I'm 36, almost 37. So back then, what, what is that? 12 years? So I was 22. 23 years old. Oh, yeah. I wish I would have known about real estate when I was 22. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I started at Morgan Stanley um, out of college. Back yeah. then, that's when like iBanking was very sexy, right? So I got into Morgan Stanley and that's when I learned that to really compete in the stock market, I mean, you just have, you have no chance. These, these people have C right. CFAs. 
behind them, platforms that do all the math. I mean, hedge funds, my it's, it's, yeah. So to think that you're going to beat the market, it first of all, the, the people on Wall Street that even try, only one out of 12 beat the market. Okay. You know, so that's when I really learned that, like, okay, I, stocks are not going to be the long term thing for me. And then I, I found real estate from that. So, oh, that's great. And how did that first property work out for you? That was great. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually selling it next week. So it'll close next oh, week. Wow. So you I've had it for a long time. Wow. Yeah, I had one tenant the whole time. Really? Yeah, hey, that's great. crazy. So, so if you didn't have turnover, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. It was amazing. So yeah. how much did you pay for and what are you trying to sell it for? Yeah, I bought it for one fifteen nine, And it took me everything everything in my power at age 22, 23 to save that right. $25,000, you know. And um, yeah, I'm selling it for about two oh five. Which you know, pretty good return. I, yeah, I yeah. Had, yeah go ahead. Especially you had tenant all the time. So it was that's amazing. Right. Yeah. It's a great return. You're not even looking at appreciation because yeah. that appreciation's about that much appreciation is barely beats the inflation pretty much, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. but you had yeah. tenant all the time, so you recovered your twenty five grand. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> oh, that, that's great. So let's talk about. So you started at age twenty two, land from rental, then buy and hold to flip to everything else, and then so why land development? And can you actually define land development for us? Yeah, so land development is really three phases, at least how I see it. Some people see it as four phases. Phase one is really just acquiring land, and you could just flip it as is. Uh, this market, it's interesting. It, it, that can be complex. Typically, you have to do what is at least phase two, otherwise known as building horizontal. And that means that you're building out the utilities, right? Sewer, water, power, and oftentimes internet's free because the providers will do it for you for free. But that's a, a really complex beast with you know the city councils, approvals, and permits. Yes. And then phase three, or what is called building vertical, is when you would build houses or resorts or whatever it is okay. on the horizontal, right? So- Oh, that's that's interesting. And actually, because I, I was thinking because I'm going through this, my partner and I acquired about 12 lots in um, in Central California. And we are actually going through all this approval right now. There you go. Yeah. About 12 single family yeah. houses. So yeah. that's another side project I'm working on. But you know, that's where the money is, right? I mean, it's a lot more risk, a lot more complex. But if you have the right team in place, you know what you're doing, the money is substantial. So, uh, and when you say land development, you don't actually build the verticals, right? If I'm understanding correctly, a lot of people do just do the entitlement and then sell the land. Yeah, it depends, right? In Arizona, I do all phases. I build horizontal oh. and vertical. So we we build a 60 acre subdivision out there, embarking now on a glamping resort as you, oh, for my nice. company. Yep. And that's near the Grand Canyon. Just phenomenal rates on those, rent, those rents out there. Anyways, and then in Texas around Austin, we just do horizontal. It's interesting in that Arizona, actually, when you build vertical, the the prices and the margins are really attractive here in Austin, Texas. Even with the price increases, the margins it's just riskier. The supply chains and the you know crazy prices of plywood and now you know metals and copper. It's it's becoming risky to build vertical. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Actually, by the time we had put our plants in place and the amount of you know the labor and the lumbar yeah. and everything went up on my other property at Mobile Home Park, we ended up spending significantly in uh, just rehabbing the home. Yeah. Now, you're probably lucky right. because we're able to pass those prices through on prices right now, but yes. 
I think we all know that there's some softening in the market, still appreciating, but it's at a much sl slower pace. Yeah, which, which makes sense, right? Because before when I thought that, oh, the prices are going through the roof for the houses and commercial, but they were just following the prices. It was the CPI, right? Inflation yeah. plus the lumbar and copper and labor and everything else in last year or so. Now that lumbar has almost dropped, what? 80% from the yep. peak in May. So I think we will see that softening cry of prices as well as I, I don't know, you may know more than me, but I see it as stabilization, right? Because it was just crazy yeah, <laughs> in last a, year or so. I'm always in debates with people and um, I usually know I'm, I tend to be contrarian in most things, but um, you know, I had this debate the other day, the market is willing to pay premium for housing right now, right? So for example, yes. in, in Arizona, we, our homes, they're pretty standard, three, two bedrooms, 1300 square feet, single story, slab foundations. We can build those for about 130, okay? okay. Not including land cost. We're all in for about 200,000 bucks, okay? We can sell them for 429. Oh, wow. Okay. Now we now what we're seeing with the, uh, with builders, including ourselves, we're not using two by sixes anymore. We're using two by fours. When right. you think about the framing, a good house will have sixteen to eighteen inches, right? Which means a cheap house will have twenty four inches or twenty two inches. We think about that. If it's tighter in space, you have more material. Okay, so builders are are going cheaper with cheaper wood and bigger spacing. They're not doing pitch roofs. They're doing flat roofs, which is way cheaper. Uh... They're not doing unique angles. So builders are they're always going to optimize profits. Why wouldn't right. they? Right. right. So. Of course. The debate of, well, builders will just drop price. I, they'll only do that if they have to sell their current inventory. Right. And, you know, and if you listen to any of the earnings reports of Toll Brothers and Lennar and KB Homes, they're public, by the way, they have yes. to hit a 25 to 30% margin on their product. Oh, so, yeah. anyways, I, I don't think they're going to reduce price unless they have to in their bigger communities. So, and, um, and does it matter? Because uh, in real estate world, especially it's market specific, right? So I think you are yeah. talking more from Austin and Phoenix perspective or Arizona, right? And I'm in San Francisco Bay Area. The prices went through the roof. Yeah. And of course, it's totally unaffordable because everything is like 2 million now, yeah. right? So do you think over here, the builders will have to drop the prices? So, Man, you or... know what? I um <laughs> building in... You know, God bless you. But I try to avoid building in places like California, Oregon, Connecticut, New York. Yeah. I was offered, I have a big debt partner in a lot of our deals. And he's like, hey, I have these two deals, two lots of plots of land in California. Do you want to take them and, you know, take over, over the debt? And I was like, you know, they're good numbers, but I don't want to deal with three years of permits. Yes. <laughs> so I don't want to, you know, Texas, you... <laughs> like in Texas, four to six months, I'm in and out. You right. know, it's a few approvals. We know the county engineer. It's easy peasy. I get scared over there in California. Yeah, and, and no one can predict what will happen in three years, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't, it's, I don't know. It's a beautiful state. So it's like, it's, I've never been able to figure it out. You know, I, I thought it would crash years ago yeah, and uh, people were still paying, you know, $1,200 a square foot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking even last year and this year it would crash because every people said everyone is moving to Austin and Dallas. Yeah, right. They are moving to Phoenix and Seattle and Raleigh and still it kept going up. One of the yeah. one of our single door, uh, I think neighbor's house, which was sold for 1.3 last year, sold mm -hmm. again for 1.7 in a year. And I'm like, how That's do crazy. you do that? That's well, you know what's amazing? <laughs> I was just doing a report yesterday on um, supply and inventory of the market and um, just doing some like national reporting and um los angeles home of 64,000 homeless people right meth everywhere a collapsing economy 
people are moving on left and right, but the supply is only 1.4 months. Exactly. Yeah. So it's I, I like, don't understand. it's because there's so little housing on the marketplace yeah. that even with all the migration out to your point, it just, there's not enough supply. It's exactly. ph phenomenal. Hey, so talk, let's talk about land development. Why did you decide to look into land development? Well, I mean, selfishly, it's just fun. I really enjoy going out in the land and talking to the owners, you know, and you, and you are literally reshaping cities. You know, I mean, how, how cool is that that's at the core of it but also one thing that i my read grant cardone's book which is actually a great book to get started on one of the things he says which i don't necessarily agree with is buy big first which mm. is crazy he's like you know don't buy anything yeah. less than 40 units it's like i don't think that's true but there's some truth to that and the truth is that bigger projects while they're more complex and they have much bigger dollar signs the risk is actually much lower in some ways, right? So for example, you know that when you do a flip and you tear down some drywall, there's a good chance you're going to find some extra work. That's, yeah, that's these Right, days. exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if your margins are only 20 grand on the flip, you really can't afford to find too much extra work, that's true. right? But if I have a land development deal and I have a construction you know, budget of $10 million and I come across a situation where I have to install a fire hydrant, it's going to cost me a quarter million. It doesn't really, I mean, it affects the deal a little bit, but it's not the end of the world. I have plenty of margin left to go. And so bigger numbers, I think, offer bigger safety against downside, ultimately. So knowing all that, you know, land development is where the big numbers are at. And, um, you know, our average deal size on the exit is anywhere between 10 to $30 million, right? Oh, that's wild. That's yeah. So in margins, tend to be 20 to 30%. So we can eat a lot of risk. We can afford, you know, 30% corrections in our deals and still make money on these things. Mm, that makes sense. So can you take us through the process of identifying land and then selling mm. it for profit? What yeah. exactly do you do? How do you identify? Yeah, this is a this is a 6-hour podcast, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> six, six, no. six hours and 10 minutes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll keep it really simple and brief, but and it's going to vary market to market, right? right? But probably the most important thing that comes down to is, is the city. You know, what does the city want? Do they want high density builds? Do they want five acre lots, right? So understanding who you're working with and what their map is for their future communities is really important. But once you understand that, assuming everything's kind of basic and people will allow a subdivision, you, typically you look for square or rectangle plots of land, okay? Not a lot of topography, kind of flat and basic. Some trees are fine. P people do like trees in their yards, but it, that can be a problem too for site clearing. Think of it as like a basic piece of farmland, square rectangle, yeah. okay? Two, you want ideally to have a lot of road frontage. So yes. if the road is covering the land, fantastic, right? And then maybe even more importantly, um, utility access. Is is there city water? It, sewer is huge. Do you, is it septic yes. or sewer? Sewer will make the project way more attractive. You can just, for example, typically you can build about five homes on an acre of land if you have sewer. And if you don't have sewer, if you're lucky, one home. Oh, wow. Right? Just because of, of the laws and codes around sewage. Right, that's true. So- Utilities, road frontage, uh, kind of the shape of the land, and then what, what the city is willing to give you is, is really the main components. And then, of course, you just got to figure out all, all the pro formas, but it's a long process. We, we spend countless hours, 60 days to even evaluate one piece of land, and we usually kick out most of the deals. We get a you know 20% conversion rate when we get a deal in front of us, so it's, it's hard to find good, good land. Oh, that's great. And then once you have identified the land and you figured out this is the land you want, and once you acquire it, what do you do? Yeah, great question. So the acquisition, we um, we have debt partners that, that love us. They will fund 60, 70% of, of the purchase price. And then we have equity partners, you know, that being investors from 
from my network or whatever, that will, that will be the equity player, you know, and we offer 25 to 30% returns annually. So really good returns. And then it's just, it's really all about connections. Having a track record like we do helps, right? We, the banks love us. They know we have a good resume. So they give us great terms. And it's, I mean, I can get $5 million from a bank in, you know, 10 days. Now I tell you in the beginning, when I first started in Arizona, I had to personally guarantee you, and I didn't do this to even get like a half million. I had to fight for weeks to convince people yes. to give me money back then. So like, it's a journey. Yeah, I've been through this. I can, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you have the money, you acquired the land, what exactly do you do? Yeah, so um, typically the first phase, at least in where I develop, Arizona's a little longer. It's about six to nine months of permits and what is known as entitlements. So that can be back taxes, getting the surveys done, all the studies done, you know, the soil studies, environmental, traffic studies, all that. That's about nine months in Arizona. It's about four to six months here in Austin, Texas, where I, not in Austin proper, but outside of Austin. And so once you have that, then you get the approval from the city and then you're ready to build. Six months in, give or take, we have shovels in the dirt. We're putting in utilities that takes six to 12 months, depending on the size. And then we usually have contracts in place to sell the land before we even buy the land. So typically these things take 18 to 24 months, these deals, and we're in and out selling them to builders and um, on to the next one. And um, who are the people who buy this uh, from you, right? Are the yeah. builders ready to build or? They are, yeah. So in our bigger projects, we work with, you know, DR Horton, Lennar, KB Homes, oh, Castle okay. Rock, Taylor Morrison. In our smaller projects, we have a list of about 40 custom home builders. Custom, like our small, smaller ones will be like one acre lots, septic, you know, kind of tailoring towards a more luxury product. The big guys want to buy, again, those cheaper homes, the ones that they can spit out, you know, four per month. No, that, that's that's great. Yeah, once you have that relationship, and when you already know that whatever you are working on, you can sell it. You know, as soon as you turn it around, that's awesome. Yeah. So, what's your personal investment criteria for finding this developable land? Right. I think you mentioned square to rectangle. Yeah. But, and city water and sewer, as well as road, what else? Like, is that population size? You know, oh, yeah. Or? So population, I mean, it's all supply and demand, right? So population right. growth is huge. And we have, I have a number of databases. Zonda, which costs $28,000 a year for us to have that per year. Great that great data. You know, John Burns is great. Oh, yeah. John but, Burns is who fantastic. I follow. The book, book is awesome. That's how yeah. I got started. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic, right? So he has great stuff. Just talking to builders helps. You know, they know where all the stuff's happening at too, right? So... But I mean, the St. Louis Fed has a really great website for free, all kinds of data there, cityvibes.com, oh, yes. um, City US, usdata.com. Like there's there's just so much out there that can really show you what's going on. So Neighborhood Scout's another good one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Neighborhood Scout as well I have used. So mm -hmm. I think this is great. And because uh, I'm trying to think how I compare, I mostly do buy and hold, right? So, but buy and hold gives me a lot of depreciation and tax benefits. Is this similar to fix and flip? What are the tax implications? Yeah. Great, great question. So when we bring in um, investors, I really shy away from investors that don't have a tax plan because when you're involved in these these projects, I mean, you're getting a 30% return annually. Exactly. You know, that's a lot. <laughs> that worries me. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's a lot of cap gains, right? And now the first year is going to be a loss. So you wouldn't see your gains until one, year, one tax year after, but- the simple way to do it that I encourage people to do it is, is a deferred sales trust. And uh, um, BST. yeah, look into that. But ultimately, I, depending on how much capital you have, because they're not cheap to manage. But if you're a higher net worth person, you have like a million dollars, give or take. 
a really good vehicle, put, you know, give it to the trust, have the trust invest, and then you can really manage your, your cap gains tax that way. Otherwise, 1031s are eligible for land purchases, but you have to be the sole person on title. So that gets tricky. Oh yeah. You'll have to do the JVs and- Yeah. The other option is that you work with us and we, and we do this with some investors. You work with us and we more or less defer your gains with you to figure out when you want to realize those gains. Right. And so if you have the right team in place, you can work on those partnerships and say, Hey, look, I don't want these profits this year. Can you put them in the back and just hold them in like a reserve, you know, in reserves. And so we'll do that so that you can position, you know, tax shelters along the way. The, my worst nightmare is that, it, you know, an investor gets a 30% return, then it has to be taxed at 30%. Like that. Exactly. That's insane. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. That, that that's why I asked because I'm always whenever I invest nowadays, as you said, you know, the more savvier you get, you always think about the exit, right? hundred so percent. Every time Spot I on, invest, right? I tell everyone we're thinking about exit way before we exit. I mean, yes. way before. Right. So I'm always thinking, okay, what would be my tax, right? What right. bracket would I be in? Yeah. So would this be considered a short-term capital gain or long-term capital gain? Yeah. So 12 months, right? Um, it's so under the, I think it depends. I, I think it falls under the uh, 24 months capital gains tax. And that's the thing, right? These are two-year projects. So, mm. you know, do you want your gains on month 18 or do you want to push them six months out? Yeah. Most times <laughs> if we're that close, you just push them out to, you know. Exactly. The second year. I, I agree. So uh, the next question I have, uh, where do you see the biggest opportunities in real estate right now? Well, I mean, again, land's great, but outside of land, I think if someone comes up with a way to build affordable housing, that's yes. high quality, that is financeable and yeah, high quality, financeable, affordable housing that makes, you know, 40% margins for builders, that will be the next home run. Again, builders make 25, 30%. If someone produces, and, you know, and we, and we hear these ideas of the uh, printing of homes. I, Actually, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it'll printing. help. You know, but if you look at industries across the globe, the one industry that has had the most evolution or, or advancement over like 200 years is construction. It's so far behind the curve. I mean, we still use manual labor for everything pretty much, right? Yeah, that's true. And, that is true. You know, and the printing has some promise, but it's going to be really hard to do things with that, like framing and whatnot. So a long way to go there, but someone will come up with a way, I think, and if they can figure out a way to build affordable housing at scale and do it with big margins, that's financeable. Oh man. I mean... You know, you're talking yeah, billions yeah. and billions. Affordable housing is the key right now. I yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah, I do think. And yeah, um, I actually invested in Mighty Homes. So I've been looking yeah. at Mighty Homes, Mardal, and a lot of those yeah, exactly. printing companies. Yeah. yeah, that's that's where a lot of the trends are going. Kind of the modular, like unpack three days thing. Yeah. You, you have financing issues there right now. Right. Um, the other one that we're seeing a lot of trends, and John Burns does a great re re report on this, is the build to rent model. Build to rent, yeah. Right. Um, we see Goldman and we see BlackRock and Wall Street now looking at real estate as an asset class. I and mean, think about this, right? If I go out as a developer and I have to build a vertical for 100 lots and then I have to sell it to 100 people, that is a pain yes. in the butt, right? Yes. But what if I could just have one contract, sell all of them at once? I would probably take a lower price, yes. get it off, off, the, off the books. It's you always know, good. Right. So <laughs> move on, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think Lennar was one of the first ones to do that. And um, they're now doubling down on that model because it's it's going to work. Yeah. If it works, why not? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is great. So let's take a quick break. And after the break, we'll go through the same questions I ask every guest. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. 
For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S.com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. Tom gave pretty good idea about how land development deals work. And actually, I was able to relate because I'm trying to develop some single family residences. So this was very helpful, Tom. Are you ready for fire round? Let's do it. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after this pandemic is over? Quickly, I would say if I were in commercial real estate, I would be getting out right now. <laughs> Perfect timing, I know. <laughs> no. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book? Oh, I know this is fire round, huh? Finance related book. Real estate. I'm, yeah, real estate. <laughs> you know, I think the one by um the uh Tom Tom Wilwright's tax guide, it's probably the tax it's real. Real estate. Oh, that's one yeah, of yeah, my yeah. top five books. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I met Tom Wilwright as well and I took yeah. his tax courses. That's why I asked you yep, yep. tax questions. <laughs> yep, yep. Any tool or website you recommend or you cannot live without for your business? Great question. I mean, Wall Street Journal, right? But I do think uh Redfin Data, which is free. Okay. Uh, it's it's lagging data, but it's it really gives people a, a quick pulse on the market. And, you know, it's, it's a month behind, but it's good enough to really help you out understanding supply, inventory, sales price on any metro, any city, any product type. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And one month is nothing in real estate world. It's not exactly. stock market where it's changing every day, exactly. every week. Any advice for beginner investors? Yeah. So, you know, as long as you're not buying a massive million dollar home in your first purchase, at least by the pro formas, it cash flows a little bit. Uh, real estate is pretty forgiving. You know, I, I've made plenty of mistakes and I've still came out ahead. I know a lot of people that have done the same thing. So I just get in, get, get started, you know, figure out why you wouldn't want to do a deal. And if you can't figure that out, then do it. And if you, if you come across a mistake, you'll get out of it. It's not like stocks. You'll figure out a way to make some money. I agree. How do you give back? Yeah. How do you give back? Oh, how do I give back? We do a variety of things. I'm big on microfinancing um, for free. I don't charge anything, but I have a portfolio of... 3,000 loans that I've given mostly towards education and things that really help people move up in, in social class. That's awesome. How can mm -hmm. my listeners reach out to you? 100%. Yeah. So my, again, I'm the CEO of Red Oak VC for venture capital. So redoakvc.com. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tom. I enjoyed Thank you, sir. this. Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.